0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, friends, and welcome back to Heart of Dating today. I'm your host, Kate Warman, and I am so thankful that you are here. Now, I know y'all kind of know about the Enneagram and maybe Myers Briggs and love languages and things like that, but there is actually a different tool that is based in science that has become one of the most useful tools for me personally in dating. It's called attachment theory. And honestly, you guys, I've been looking to find a psychologist for forever who is passionate about this, and at long-awaited last, I finally got connected to the amazing Dr. Diane. So you guys are in for a treat today. Dr. Diane Strakowski has an undergraduate degree in psychology, a master's in counseling, and a doctorate in education. She did her postdoctoral series in Stanford, where she received advanced training in cognitive behavioral therapy. Dr. Diane has worked on various clinical trials doing research on empirically validated treatments for a variety of health related issues. In the past 20 years, her practice has evolved from working with patients with mood swings to becoming a relationship expert working with singles and couples. Her goal is to give people the best that psychology has to offer. She knows what works and the difference that a healthy relationship can make in your life. Her life's work is to support men, women, and couples to think about themselves and their relationships differently. Dr. Diane believes that your brain is the epicenter to opening your heart and that science confirms that if you think positively about love, you can feel and act positively. She is an incredible advocate for attachment theory and has even derived her own test that has broken it down into seven different types. You can take her attachment theory quiz by going to secureinlove.com. Today, Dr. Diane so amazingly breaks down attachment theory for us. She also talks about where it originated and how it can apply to us today. She also details out the various different love attachment styles and what the needs are for each different type. We also talk about the silver lining of attachment theory and how you can actually heal from your attachment style. I learned so much in this conversation. I literally took pages of notes. And if you don't already know about attachment theory, this is going to blow your mind today. It is so good. All right, friends, now I just want to remind you of something about our Patreon page. A lot of y'all asked me how you can best support Heart of Dating, and first and foremost, just by listening and sharing this podcast really means the world to us and it helps us immensely. But not only that, I have to be really candid with you guys that it actually costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time to run this podcast. In 2019, I prayed and prayed and prayed and decided that I was going to focus on heart of dating full time and reduce the amount of outside consulting work that I was doing. So that's what I've been doing this year. But friends, I can't lie to you and tell you it hasn't been somewhat of a financial struggle at times. Listen, I'm gonna be honest, I would do this podcast for literally no money if God just wanted to magically get rid of all my bills, that would be amazing. But not only do I have expenses, the podcast has expenses. And we also have a team that in essence right now is working for free because they're just passionate about this and love the community. This basically equals tons of hours for them on top of also having a full-time job just to support Heart of Dating. Now it would be my dream to pay the people who help Heart of Dating and actually start building more of a staff here. So if you love what's going on here with Heart of Dating and you wanna be a part of seeing this ministry thrive, I'd love to invite you to consider supporting us via Patreon. Patreon is a platform for creators. You can go on and pledge whatever dollar amount you want, either $1, $5, $10, $100, whatever it is. That can be decided on your own, and it will be taken out of your account at the beginning of every month. In essence, it's a monthly pledge. You can go and support us by going to patreon.com forward slash heart of dating. All right, so that's my announcement for today. Without further ado, here's my amazing conversation about attachment theory with Dr. Diane Strakowski. Welcome, Dr. Diane Strakowski. I'm so excited to have you to the podcast today. Kate, I am so
1: happy to be here. This is going to be awesome. I so look forward to talking to you and your followers. Oh,
0: thank you, girl. So I'm just really excited because ever since our first conversation and since I found out about the work you're doing, I've been just so impressed, Diane, and just everything you're doing to really help people through your practice, through like through relationships, really. And this topic that we're going to dive into today... I'm really passionate about. So anyhow, would you just start by sharing with everyone who you are and kind of what you do so that everyone knows a little bit more about you?
1: Yes, absolutely. So happy to be here. I am a licensed psychologist. I work in California, and I mainly work with people who are either single, looking Mm -hmm. for love, or I work with couples who want to deepen their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I call myself a relationship expert. Yes. Uh, what that means is I approach things from a very psychological perspective. Mm-hmm. And because I'm also a psychologist, I can add in a lot about brain science, yeah. about um, just the science of relationships. And I've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> so I've been working with people in therapy, uh, for a long time, but like you, this is a very, uh, pa- I'm very passionate yes. about this topic because attachment theory is one of the most well-researched mm.
0: and also rich mm. theories that we have out there about relationships. Yeah. I love that so much. And so when I, I actually first came to like learn about attachment theory, it was only in like the last... I would say 3 years. So, it's definitely new for me and when I brought yeah. it up even with people that I personally coach, a lot of times they're like, "What? What's that?" Like they they've never heard of it, you know? Yeah. So, I love yeah. to just kick off I mean, a lot of people talk about, "Okay, enneagram and personality tests and love language and blah blah blah." Yes. All those are great, wonderful, but a lot of people when I bring up attachment theory, they're like, I've "Never heard of that." So, would you just kick us yeah. off in this discussion to so that people know like, what is attachment theory? What is, what is that?
1: Okay, perfect. So let me describe, because I want to give credit to the founder of attachment theory. Yeah. So a gentleman who was a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. John Bowlby,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he actually developed this theory back in the 1950s and 60s. Okay. Interesting enough, Dr. Bowlby was uh, mm-hmm. interested in studying orphans at the end of World War II. So primarily he had this group of orphan boys who obviously didn't have a primary caregiver. Mm. So when they talked about caregiver, it was, of course, ideally one's parents or a caregiver, somebody, not your parents. Mm. But the children that he was studying didn't have any caregivers because they were, again, in this orphanage. And what he did is an observational study to see the impact of that early childhood experience later in these children's lives, to see what the impact was on their romantic relationships. Mm, Okay, wow. So what Dr. Bowlby found, unfortunately, as you can imagine, is Mm. that the early impact of parenting is profound, particularly on someone's adult relationships. And unfortunately, all these young boys that didn't have parents struggled. So Dr. Bowlby recognized that the first two years of life are crucial Mm. in terms of forming what he called an attachment with one's parents or caregivers. Yeah. So Dr. Bowlby laid the foundation for this. Mm -hmm. And the important part about attachment is that we don't observe or see someone's true attachment style unless they are under stress. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part of the theory, and I use this analogy, I say, um, Kate, we're all tea bags. Mm. You don't know who you have until you put them in hot water.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> right? You don't know someone's essence, no. who they are in terms of their soft spots, in terms of their attachment styles or their needs until you see them in a stressful situation, because mm-hmm. that's when the attachment style is going to come out. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> so Dr. Bobby laid the foundation for the theory. Then what happened was a student of his, after Dr. Bowlby, a woman by the name of Mary Ainsworth, she wanted to study, because they studied these orphans, and most of the orphan children were what were co- what are called, and I'll explain, avoidant types. Yeah, Because they never had a caregiver, they learned to just manage on their own. Mm. But Dr. Ainsworth said, well, Clearly, there's other attachment styles, yeah. And so, what she created was a way to test this, and that's why it's now called attachment science. Mm. Is we can actually measure this in a laboratory setting. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, Dr. Ainsworth first went into the homes of parents and children and did also observational studies. Mm. But what happens is if you're studying a child to see how they're attached in one's home, there's nothing threatening. There's nothing stressful, right? Right. So you could observe yes. for a long time. And you're, not, you're not actually going to see anything.
0: Right. So, so yeah. a
1: fascinating study she created, it was called the strange situation. Hmm. So here the test was you have to create a stressor to see how someone responds to stressor.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: Okay. So the point was what, how do you want to stress out a child? Okay. (laughs) So they bring in children because all of this is established by age two. Mm -hmm. So they would bring in children between 18 months and 24 months and usually with, with the primary caregiver, usually the mother into a laboratory and behind a two-way mirror, they had a 20 minute experiment set up. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about science, you know, this all needs to be, very well, um, organized and orchestrated so that all of the science were measuring the exact same thing. Right. Okay. So 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 they call this the strange situation. (laughs) So what was strange about it is that they bring in a stranger. Okay. okay. Because think about it. Children have a negative reaction to when strangers come into the room because that could be a perceived threat.
0: Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Stranger danger.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's right. That's right. So they have a room full of toys. And in the first scene, they say to the parent, play as your child as you would normally at home.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. Mm. And you're observing the parent and the child interaction to see also how attached or bonded the parent is to the child and the child to the parent, because this is in unison. This Mm -hmm. is a relationship. This isn't just one person. Okay. Mm. We're also fascinating enough. We are measuring the cortisol levels of that baby, which is the stress hormone that you produce, and it can be measured in your saliva. And they're also measuring the baby's heart rate oh,
0: fascinating. to
1: see how stressed out they
0: are. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so
1: they have behavioral measures like how they act and what they do and if they cry, but you also have physiological measures for stress. Mm. So then Mother and child are playing together, and then quietly, a stranger walks into the room. Then you see how the child responds or reacts to the stranger. Mm. Then the next scene, they ask the parent to leave the room, leaving the child alone with the stranger. Mm. Then what they have is the parent walk back into the room, and what they're measuring there is what's called reunion behavior. Mm. how attached that child is how strong the bond is between the parent and the child based upon how they react under stress but also when they're back together okay Yeah. then the parent leaves a second time we have a second reunion then the stranger leaves the room and now you see how the baby settles or doesn't when the stranger has now left and this is all a 20 minute experiment Oh, for wow. which they then determined upon hundreds of analysis four different attachment styles.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. I didn't know any of this. I knew a bit of attachment theory. You're blowing my mind right now. It's so cool. Yay!
1: <laughs> so I love this because I love the science of it because truly as a, as a clinician, we have, you know, the scientist practitioner model. It's like there's my theory, but then I need to prove it.
0: Right? Yeah, I totally. need to be
1: able to observe this and code it. So let me describe what the four types are and yeah. how popular they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it back to, okay, the first type is the ideal type.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: And we call this secure functioning. Yeah. Okay. In other books, they call it an anchor. They would say this is ideally what you want. Mm. In those perfect circumstances where you have a parent who is highly attuned to their child, which means attentive. The baby cries, the parent responds. There is a close bond and a nice synergy between the mom and the child. And I'm just going to say mom, but that could be caregiver. Right. This is what you want because the child goes to the parent for comfort and the parent can ideally soothe the child. That is an indicator of a secure functioning relationship. Mm, Okay. Okay. Yeah. So mom and child are playing. There's a good synergy. Baby coos, mom responds, all good. The stranger comes into the room, and it is normal to feel some stress. The child goes to the parent. The parent successfully soothes them. Oh, honey, you're okay. Pat's on the back. And then the child feels settled and goes back to playing. Mm. Okay. Now the mom leaves the room. That's the first separation. They're anxious with the stranger. But over time, they do settle. How do we know? Because their heart rate is lower and their cortisol levels are not high. Mm. So that baby experiences mild stress, but they also recover.
2: Mm. Okay? Okay.
1: Then when the parent walks back into the room, we know that they're securely attached because the child falls into the parent. Mm. Like, you know, the hug where you see like the little child's arms go limp. It's like, oh, you're here. Thank God.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is a good sign. Like there is a strong connection there. Yeah. Okay. I'm strong and healthy. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Parent is responsive. There's a lot of warmth. There's a lot of love. Mm. What that means then is also now the stranger leaves at the end. That The child can successfully go and kind of explore the room of toys and doesn't sense threat. Mm. Okay. Okay. Think about it. That person now in an adult relationship does not feel so much stress.
2: Mm, they're yeah. easier
1: going. They're more flexible. They can tolerate separations and reunions so much easier because they have a sense of like object permanence,
2: mm, wow. which means
1: even if you go away, I know you're there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they're like, they've. it's been proven through their childhood. So now in adulthood, they're yeah, like, right. if you go away on a trip or if you're this or if you're not, I don't know, I'm driving, I'm going into all these different scenarios, but if you're not being as responsive, I'm, I'm okay because I know you eventually you'll come back and I'm not going to freak out. Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) So that child ultimately feels unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's perfect because there's no perfect child parent relationship, but it means they know proven over time through hundreds and thousands of examples that you are going to be there for me. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing that they have moving forward is trust. Mm. They can trust their partner now because they learned that even though there might be conflict in the home, they're going to handle it. Mm, Okay. Okay. So that is ideal. Yeah. Secure. Now let me talk about, okay, so secure functioning. Back in the days when they did these studies, they found out that 50% of children are secure.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Only half. Now that doesn't sound great, but the truth is I'll go into my data later. I have found out that it's even worse than that.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: At this point in the study, they have found that 50% of kids were secure, which is good, not great though. Yeah. Right? It would be ideal that we have more people secure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are the next insecure types? Okay. Mm-hmm. So now there's three different insecure types because there are a total of four. The next type we call anxious. Yeah. And I have my own love styles and I call it nervous. Yeah. But there there's similar words to describe what the child feels Mm. in reaction to a relationship with the parent that has already been proven to be inconsistent.
2: Mm. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the hallmark signs of an anxious relationship or an anxious attachment is the child who has already learned by two years old that you are there for me sometimes, but not all the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now this could be because the parent is busy. Yeah. The parent has four other children. The parent is a workaholic. The parent is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. The parent is anxious themselves and highly preoccupied. But when the child has needs, which is how babies convey their needs, right? They cry, they scream, they're hungry, they have a wet diaper. You come sometimes but not all the time. Mm-hmm. So, the child has already learned that you're not so successful at calming me down. Hmm. Okay. Because when a baby has a need, think about it. In that moment, they can't express themselves. That need is crucial. Yeah. Right. It feels like life or death. Like if I have a wet diaper and I'm really uncomfortable and I'm crying for long periods of time and you're not coming, that's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> It is, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody would want to be sitting in a in a No,
0: yeah, totally. <laughs> and you're like, so, I need you to change it. Help me. Exactly right. Okay. So
1: what does that look like in the strange situation? Mm. So we need to understand that because this is going to equal some similar adult behaviors. So mm. the child now is the stranger comes into the room and they're with their parent and they go to their parent for comfort, which is what you should do but the parent does not completely successfully calm the child down Mm -hmm. because they're already a little suspect i'm not so sure that you're going to be there for me Mm -hmm. so this is where we see kids who have like separation anxiety yeah you drop them off at school and they're crying incessantly and they can't calm down they have not learned that you're a person of safety to them or you're a comfort. So therefore they feel more stressed out by other things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the mom leaves the room for separation. They come back into the room and the child is pissed. (laughs) Why did you abandon me? You've left me again. Yeah. So this is where we sometimes see what we call protest behavior Mm -hmm. or what we call the anxious angry, which is the child gives a display of their upset, which is they throw a toy or they hit the parent, but they're saying, I'm not happy with this. (laughs) This is not good. I don't like that you've left me. Okay? Yeah. So that's not the same as a secure functioning child who falls into the parent, right? Right. They're a a little bit like controlling children. Mm. It's going to be on my turn not happy with you.
0: (laughs) And I can relate to this as this was me as a child, 100%.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. And we know this because their cortisol levels are high, their stress hormone and their heart rate levels are high. So we know that the baby is stressed out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when even after the stranger leaves, they don't successfully get back to baseline easily. It takes them longer to recover.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: That's type number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they said about 25% of people fall under anxious. Okay. The next is what's called avoidant. And that was the type that was more like the orphan okay. children. Right. They didn't get anything from the parent. So therefore, that child doesn't know how to rely on other people. Mm-hmm. So that baby, I too, learned this, which is really just sad, actually. They learned, I have nobody. Mm-hmm. I'm on my own. Can you imagine? Like... I've been neglected to the point that I don't actually even know that I could get anything from you.
0: Oh, Okay.
1: Mm. It's sad, but what the baby does is they've learned to auto-regulate, which means I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to like pretend you're not there. And I'm just going to breathe by myself because I'm on my own and I'm just going to take care of myself. Mm. So the child in study and why it's so important to get the physiological data we don't see avoiding children crying that much oh that's interesting it's been ineffective because nobody's come not even inter- intermittently so they quit they kind of so they kind stop. of stop emotions so that- basically yeah That's exactly right. But what they're doing, and we know they're stressed out because their cortisol levels are super high because there's a stranger in the room and their heart rates are off the charts. Mm. Okay. So we know that little baby is under duress, but they have no way to express it and they're not going to get their needs met through their parent. So then upon reunion with the parent, there's not a lot of closeness. Mm. They, they kind of like, Go limp, or you know, the mother doesn't even know what to do because they're not like, "Oh, come here!" Right? It's it's kind of like, "Oh, okay, well, here's my child." The child sometimes doesn't even act like the mom has come or gone.
0: Interesting. Okay, it feels like a really awkward, uncomfortable scenario. <laughs> like this is my child, That's and exactly it right. doesn't really I don't really know if it likes me. Right, it can feel a little Osberger's ish. Right? Yeah, like yeah.
1: Um, Osberger's kids just can't really kind of connect. But mm. that is called avoidant. That was another 25%. Now, the last and final type is called disorganized. And this is an extreme situation where the child has been abused. Yeah. And so in these circumstances, we see the child completely disorganized. I call it confused where you see like the child doesn't know, like, who's the threat, the parent or the stranger. And they might throw themselves on the ground, they might have a temper tantrum, or they might just, we call it fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. They might freeze and do nothing. But the the behavior looks a little chaotic.
2: Wow. And
1: that was 8% of the population. And unfortunately, that's still about the same level. Oh, wow! So those are going to be babies and then adults who are gonna need a lot more care. They're gonna mm-hmm. need therapy. They're gonna need a lot more because they don't know who is safe and who isn't and um that's gonna really rock their adult relationships. Yeah. So those are the four types of attachment styles. Mm. Secure, anxious, or I call nervous, uh avoidant, I call independent, because the theme of it is to regain one's independence. Mm. And then there's disorganized, which I call confused because the child's just ultimately and then the adult is just ultimately
0: confused. Oh, my god! So does that help you understand attachment theory? Yes. This is that is so helpful, Diane. Like, wow. Like, I definitely didn't even know (laughs) any of those details, really. Only what it kind of rose up to. Okay, friends, I just want to take a quick break in our amazing episode today to share with you our incredible sponsor for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence. One of my favorite ways that Denison Ministries is helping Christians feel closer to God is through their First 15 devotional. Verse 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful devotionals, scripture, worship, and prayer. Now, we always talk about how singleness and dating is the perfect season to grow closer to God, right? I mean, it really is. We can't waste this time. We have to make the most of every moment that we have. We really do. The additional time that we have now needs to be spent growing closer to God as much as we possibly can. So if you hear me saying that right now and you're like, yeah, Kate, that's great and all, but I am busy, friend. Well, I hear you. I am also busy at doing awesome things as I'm sure you're doing too. But here's a deal. Can you not at least spend 15 minutes a day studying and being with God? I mean, that is at least a priority we should be making in our life right now. So friend, I want to encourage you to sign up for the First 15 email devotional that can be sent directly to your inbox at first15.org forward slash subscribe. Or you can even start your day off with the First 15 devotional podcast and listen to that anywhere that's convenient for you. Join me in doing this simple but really, really impactful discipline so we can together really begin pressing into knowing God in a bigger and better way in our singleness. I don't know if it'd be helpful to like kind of also talk quickly through what are some of the ways that this shows up, I guess. In, in kind of dating? I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but like maybe we yes. can just bring it yes. into the dating sphere because I know you said yes. you also have new research too, or like, you know, some, this has changed a little bit yeah. since that study, mm-hmm. but how are these types like kind of showing up within dating relationships? Sure. Okay. So think about it. What is dating?
1: Dating is a stressor. Yeah. Dating is a threat. hundred <laughs> percent. So when I say that, you know, dating is a little strange, <laughs> that's what I mean. Think about the strange situation. It's like that's the kind of danger. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that's my funny analogy. But what's going to happen is now as an adult, based upon my attachment style,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to have certain needs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And everyone's going to need something different based upon what they learned to either get their needs met or not as a child. Mm -hmm. So if I'm an anxious dater, okay, then I'm going to, what am I going to need from a partner? What am I going to need from my date? I'm going to need to be seen, to be heard, to feel validated. And what do I need? Consistency.
0: Yeah. Because Mm
1: -hmm. I have learned in these other relationships that I can't trust somebody who's inconsistent. Right. So I'm going to need you to show me that you're consistent. Mm. So what's going to be the threat or the stressor when I go out on a great date with you? And then I don't hear back from you.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> right. Yep. Bam, there's the trigger. Now you're in hot water. You're like a tea bag. And your real colors are coming out because you could have had a great time on the date because there's lots of stimulation and you're talking and you're having a great time, but it's when you're home alone, Mm -hmm. right? And you're thinking about, oh God, I would have, should have, could have said this or not that or blah, 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 right? And now you start obsessing about this person. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, what happened? And when the phone's not pinging and you're not
0: getting validation, you're in a situation of stress. Yep. You start sweating and you yep. uh, you start talking about it with every person you know and you go through all the details and it's right. terrible. Mm-hmm. That's
1: right. Because you have a hard time relaxing or yeah. calming down because your parent never successfully helped you figure out how to relax. And that actually keeps you wanting. It keeps you – in a position where you, you keep seeking validation from other people, whether it be your friends or the person that you're dating, because it feels like you need
0: somebody else to help you calm down. Yeah. Now I don't want to okay. derail, but, but th- would this also relate, yeah. Diane, if like also first maybe the person is anxious, they have a mild anxious attachment style, like they're a parent, they yeah. have that from childhood, but then when they get when they've been in relationships where this has been exasperated a lot, it probably gets that fear and that trigger probably gets worse when they're dating again, I assume.
1: Hey, absolutely. Yeah. And so part of the hard part is then translating child data that we have from childhood attachment to actually replicate those in adult attachment because Mm -hmm. a we can't study it in a lab anymore Mm -hmm. but now what happens when you have successive relationships that all don't work you get more anxious right okay (laughs) so yes of course because now you have new memories of other people who have disappointed you and other people who have been inconsistent and i hate to say it but the nature of dating at the start is ambivalency
0: yeah that's and it's already that exactly (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's right. So you're kind of like throwing yourself into a pot of hot water. And my job is to help people figure out how to swim Yeah. and how to survive this. Because if you're getting so easily triggered, you're going to need some tools and mm-hmm. you're going to need some tips to help you better manage your anxiety. Yeah. Um, because you have to actually have a name for it and yeah. know, oh, I'm anxious. And that means my nervous system is just too sensitive. I'm picking up on cues and threats that if I was a secure person, I wouldn't see. Yeah,
0: 100%.
1: So a secure person can be in the dating world and love it and enjoy it and have fun and go, I don't know. I don't get it. What's the big deal? Why are you so nervous? I'm having a good time. (laughs) And right. you're the anxious person thinking, are you kidding me? This is, I'd rather have a root
0: canal. <laughs> you're like, wait, but you didn't respond in three hours. And I got, that made me anxious. And they're like, but I was busy. And I responded to you when I could, you That's know. <laughs> right.
1: That's right. So it's all how we think about it and how mm-hmm. we feel and what we're looking at based upon who we are, because all of this stuff is set early. It's self set unconsciously. And, and by the way, kate i dated for a long time i'd also been to many therapists myself not a single person ever told me that i had an anxious attachment style which i did of course (laughs) and i had to figure it out myself Mm. and in my own study and so but that's my whole point about now trying to educate people about this because i say don't take it personally this is how you're wired but now it is your job to figure out, to label it and figure out what are you going to do to work on your anxiety so you're not going to suffer as much.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about some tools. But before we go into yes. even that, can we talk too about how the avoidant shows up um, a little bit as well? Because yes. the yes. anxious, I totally relate to. I could talk to it all day long because that's okay. how I attach. But let's talk about the avoidant yes. guide too. Okay,
1: okay so the, the anxious person needs closeness, connection, validation all of that. They need to feel close. The avoidant person, what do they need? Well, they need space. They need peace. They need lack of conflict. Yeah. So think about it. That child learned to auto-regulate, which means I'm on my own. I got this. Leaves me alone. They don't want to feel crowded. Mm. Okay. So in relationships, how do they show up? Well, they can be incredibly charismatic, But they talk about thoughts and not feelings. Yeah. Okay. Think about it. You're a child and you're not getting a lot from your parents. What oftentimes happens is in the world, you become good with things, not feelings. Mm. You throw yourself into projects. You're really good at school because you're getting validated by your teachers. But you haven't learned this whole world of feeling words. Mm. We describe it sometimes as like alexithymic. You don't have language for feelings or empathy or words because you just, you never learned that. Yeah, wow. So in the dating world, at first, they can be very cool. This is why anxious people are actually attracted to avoidant people. Because they're charismatic, yeah. Mm. But they appear, they look at first blush, they look secure. Mm. Okay. So at first blush, you ask them, Hey, tell me about your childhood. Oh, it was great. You know, it was idyllic. I had wonderful parents because no one wants to admit they were neglected.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. It is, it is almost like something shameful that I can't even admit or acknowledge, or because that was my family and I didn't know any different. I didn't actually even know I was neglected. Right. That happens a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen in dating and why it dating is so tricky is because this person the avoidant person doesn't get threatened till much much later Mm. okay so you're going along you're dating an avoidant person they're showing up um maybe they're they're just really into you you're having a great time and then what's going to happen is their threat their their hot water is when you get really close And when the relationship becomes defined, and that's when they start to feel stuck. Mm, Okay. Wow. So now they feel trapped because they need space and they need peace. And if you have a lot of needs and you're an avoidant person, they can feel flooded. Mm, Okay. Yep. (laughs) So now the avoidant person feels like it's a threat to their independence. Mm. And now they start to avoid you. Now they're not texting you. Now they're not calling you. And you were thinking, hurrah, I
0: just got into a relationship. We yeah. finally defined it. And you're like, where where did they go? You're like, this was not what I signed up for. Now I'm like, wait, That's I feel right. abandoned. Or, you know, like those things are coming up again. That's
1: right. Mm-hmm. So
0: the avoided
1: person, but they're just doing them. Mm. They don't mean to be like rejecting you or abandoning you. They just need to auto-regulate and get some time to themselves because how they cope with stress is to take time alone,
2: Mm.
1: okay? And the person, problem here though, Kate, is when we start to think that they're being malicious,
2: Mm.
1: okay? Yeah. Right? So you can imagine the anxious person is with an avoidant person who they finally define their relationship and now they back, the avoidant person backs off because they start freaking out. Mm. Okay. The anxious person is like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this. It's cruel. (laughs) How dare you do this? And the avoidant person is like, just give me a little bit of space. But my work then, if I'm working with this as a couple is then to help the avoidant person, talk to the anxious person to let them know not to take it personally.
0: Yeah. That's good.
1: That's what the anxious person is doing is they're taking that as a sign of rejection when really it's them just trying to breathe. Mm. They're just trying to get air. Yeah. So we we have to just know who we're partnered with and figure it out and, and get out of our heads about, overthinking those stuff.
0: Yeah. And like, I think I mentioned it even when we were talking before this, Diane, but it's not impossible for that attachment style type, those two avoidant and anxious to be together. It just requires more awareness, right? And more kind of like a lot of communication, I feel like, like you just said. Absolutely.
1: And so that's the problem, though. What happens is people start reading books and you know and i talked one of the very popular books on this is called attached yeah which i highly recommend it does give you a primer for attachment theories but part of it can become very negative languaging about the avoidant person well mm-hmm. i'm just going to avoid them all mm-hmm. i'm not going to date anybody like that i'm like well wow so by the way my data says that is about 27 of the population avoidant. i'm like wow, okay yeah. so on your profile you're going to say i only date secure people <laughs> well good luck i mean we, these people show up in our life, and also the positive part about this theory, back to John Bowlby, yep. is that there's something called earned attachment, mm. okay? So the silver lining is mm. that it doesn't matter how you started. It only matters where you went. Mm. And that is
0: you could
1: be insecure. You had a parent who maybe, I don't know, you had six siblings. They were very busy. You didn't get a lot. You... Now, meet a partner who's slightly avoidant, But the two of you t- together find a way to communicate and meet each other's needs, and now you can actually heal. Mm. So you can that's earning your attachment, right. That you didn't have it at the start, but you can get there later. That's why the model is also so positive. Yeah. that we can help that in early relationships, we are wounded.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: to a milder or greater degree. And in adult relationships, we can also be healed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we would have to help the avoided person not feel so vulnerable mm-hmm. to help them normalize what is sharing, what is intimacy, what does that look like, how to build trust slowly over time. Mm-hmm. But we can't just like expect this to be amazing right away because it takes, on average, five years to become secure.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really fascinating.
1: So think about it. Well, you don't have five years in dating to yeah. just like snap your fingers and hope that the person's going to like settle down. Right. So you have to commit to this process, mm-hmm. right? This is going to take a long time. Think about it. As you're a child and, and 80% of your brain is developed by age two, and you've already gotten the message that adults aren't so trustworthy, mm-hmm. it's going to take at least five years to now learn oh no, really adults are trustworthy. Right. Right. It's yeah. going to take hundreds of thousands of positive experiences with the new person to counteract that negative message.
0: Wow. Okay. That's really helpful for us to see because I, I feel like people shouldn't give up necessarily right. when they find out like, oh, you're avoidant. I'm anxious. Okay. Or if they just feel like they're too at odds with how they're connecting, I think to your point, like there's a way the silver lining is so positive. And that's what I do love about attachment theory. It's like, I mean, for me, the journey has looked like being aware of my attachment style, being aware of how it shows up, especially in dating, being being able to take ownership of what I know are my personal triggers and stop taking things personally, just like you said earlier, that's right. um, and also be able to communicate, hey, like when you do this, it, it kind of makes me feel this way. And, you know, being able to communicate those things while balancing my level of expectation of the person. It, which is it's all That's easier right. said than done. <laughs> but yeah.
1: And and Kate, I would add one thing to yeah. what you just said. I would also have a caveat and I know you don't mean to do this personally. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I would soften that because what I have to do is give my partner the benefit of a doubt because if I'm an avoidant person hearing like I've hurt you, yeah, right. what do I want to do? I want to run from you. Mm-hmm. But give me some credit and say, I know you don't need to do this personally or I know you were just super busy and you were just taking space, but I really just need to hear from you more consistently. And then you know what? I can just settle down and then I can actually be the best partner I can be to you when I know when I'm going to hear from
0: you. Yeah. So it's definitely that balance of like, okay, you're sharing what you, and they're like, well, I need space if it's an avoidant, for example. So you kind of have to respect both, which is like, okay, it's a give and take. right? Um, Right. And really helpful. So I guess what are some of the things that you, I mean, we're kind of talking about them now. What are more things that you would suggest for the types to kind of move towards healing, even in their singleness, even in today. Because um, I think a lot of yeah. this too can start yeah. happening by being aware right now in our single years.
1: Yeah. And and I have to tell you again, my heart is in this because I too was a very anxious person in dating and I get it. And I would say like, you know, um, I just don't know how much longer I could do this. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's taxing. You have to really kind of like gear yourself up to go to right. war, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. The work is really to become secure enough on your own, Yeah. okay? And a lot of people now say that, you know, I want to heal my heart before I throw myself back into relationships, but you can't be passive about that either. So I tell people the way that our brain is developed and our nervous system is developed is from what we call the bottom up. Mm. If you think about it, like your brain the bottom brainstem is our emotions are uh, developed first. Think about it. Children are right. very emotional, yes. right? They're okay. very reactive. They're just kind of like nerve endings. And then what we develop, so we sort of develop our body first. Then we develop our soul. Mm. Our soul is again more the attachment or the relationship or the connection. And then we develop our mind last. Mm. So it's not really... Mind, body, soul, it's body, soul, mind. Mm, okay.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I say think about that in a three-step healing process. Mm. First, you want to heal your body. Mm, okay. Yeah. Which means you need to learn if you're anxious, because actually what the anxious person and the avoidant person both have in common is they actually both are anxious, but they display it in different ways. Oh, fascinating. Okay? Yeah, yeah the anxious person needs to learn how to calm down on their own mm. how can they do that meditation
2: mm-hmm. prayer mm-hmm.
1: exercise yoga i it's better after i have a date and i'm anxiously waiting to hear from them it's better than me picking up the phone and yakety yak with my girlfriend. <laughs> yes. Right? Giving my, my power away to somebody else. What is she going to say? Well, you're great. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. I'm like, but if he doesn't get back to me, it doesn't really
2: matter. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have
1: to learn how to calm yourself down. Right. Because you're now, again, giving your power away to this other person to define you, to mm. declare you, to tell you that you're good enough. Okay. Yeah. You have to do that for yourself. So you want to calm your body down. Likewise, the avoidant person needs to actually calm down with a person Mm -hmm. because they're establishing a a pattern, auto-regulating, always doing it by themselves. And when you are ultimately in a relationship and you have children, you can't take all the time you need to go calm down. Yeah. You got to be able to do it a little faster. So you want to move towards being more secure, which is the secure person can calm down alone or with other people. And ultimately the secure person is just more flexible. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's how to heal your body. Let's go to how do you heal your soul? Well, if you are religious, Mm -hmm. that may be through God, Mm -hmm. that may be through prayer or song. If you're not religious you can heal your your soul in many ways by connecting to what we call your inner child
2: mm, okay mm-hmm.
1: this your inner child you think about it there was a little you a mini you mini me yeah. at 2 years old who wasn't getting my needs met mm-hmm. and the problem is because children's brains are not completely developed they don't know rational thought so imagine i have a parent who's not there or inconsistently there yeah I don't say to myself, my parent is really busy saving the world. My parent has competing needs. I say to myself, I'm not good enough. Mm, Right. And that little child felt not good enough. That's why you personalize. That's why you feel crowded. Mm. Instead, you have to connect with the inner child, your soul, and say, you know what, honey? Your parent was busy, but it didn't mean that you weren't good enough because I'm here for you now and you are good enough and you mm. do deserve love. Mm. And this is more the compassionate talk that you want to have to yourself to actually heal that little child to be the more idyllic, secure,
0: functioning parent to your little child. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're like parenting yourself, like kind of like- it, parent. Yes. yes. That's right. You're re-parenting. Re-parenting okay? yourself. So yeah. that- <laughs>
1: Okay, so we got body, that's soul, now the mind. The mind is cognitive therapy. And Mm -hmm. as a cognitive behavioral therapist, this was my training. And what we do is we think irrational thoughts back to the thoughts, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, wait a minute. Rationally now, what is the evidence that that thought is true? Okay, Mm. in lots of other areas of your life, you're good enough. you say i'm unlovable you have lots of friends that love you lots of people that love you what is the actual evidence because you're thinking in emotional ways yeah but the evidence or the facts don't lie
0: yeah okay
2: Mm.
1: this is my cognitive behavioral therapy at this point right once i've healed the body and now the soul using rational thought okay so when you're waiting for the guy who hasn't texted you back say exactly that it, there's no evidence that he didn't like me. He smiled on the date. He said he was going to call. He seemed very pleasant. We had a good connection. What's changed? Mm.
0: Nothing. There's yeah. no evidence. <laughs> Nothing has been past different. Past yeah. Time. It's it's all right? within our own heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. You are creating this
1: script in your head, and now you look for evidence to confirm the worst. Mm. So you're like, oh, yeah, well, he he didn't laugh at that joke, and then he didn't this. And and then all of a sudden, the phone rings, and he pings, and you're like, oh, now I can breathe. It's all okay. And I'm like, well, why would you just put yourself through that?
0: <laughs> it's like self-torture, yeah.
1: Great. So we have to then start thinking more rationally. And you do that by challenging your thoughts. So Mm -hmm. when I work with a client or a couple, I say there's something called a dysfunctional thought record. And I start literally write down what is the negative thought? What is the I message? Because you want to personalize this like, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. And then we want to take the negative thought out and replace it with a thought that you believe to the same extent. so what if you started saying something like if i date enough people i will eventually find love
2: Mm.
1: okay Mm. you have to you have to think positive yeah hopeful you have to realize that this is just one slice of time this is not what the end is going to be right and if you're a person of faith right you have to have faith that it's all going to be okay but your nervous system is giving you this false message yeah. that there's something threatening when there really isn't anything that's threatening. Mm. and
0: why are you giving this one person to define your worth yeah right you're giving them it's like what you said earlier we're giving away our power we're like giving away our worth our value our power by allowing one action not calling back for example or not calling back in the time we liked or texting like an ability to determine our worth and value for example in the case of like an anxious person yeah (laughs) that's right that's right that's how you heal now, how do you do that? I and mean, partly all of the literature,
1: this whole thing even called earned attachment. Well, that sounds great if you can find somebody to earn your attachment with, but right, it's a really annoying message to the single person. Well, <laughs> you can have a good friend. You can have a good relationship. You can have positive role models out there, successful couples. Yeah. You can actually become more secure in therapy. Mm, if yeah. you have a good Therapists, they serve as a surrogate parent to you. Yeah. And over time, you learn that this person is there for you unconditionally. You learn to a- appreciate their advice, that they are looking out for you. So we can heal these wounds through therapy and through other good, healthy relationships.
2: Mm, that's so good.
1: And I also encourage people to be around people who are slightly better than you, right? Mm, yep. What do I mean by that, right? If you surround yourself with all anxious friends and you call your friend, oh my God, I haven't heard from him. What, what does she say?
2: Oh my, oh my God, gosh, I hate terrible. that. Yep.
1: I to do, you know, and, yep. and it makes you more anxious now, right?
0: Yeah. You feel justified in the moment, but it doesn't heal the actual problem, which is there's That's still right. anxiety there. It actually just increases your That's resentment right. and anger for that person. That's
1: <laughs> right. So what if. What if you had like a really happy couple and then you go over and they say, Oh God, you know, that same thing happened to me too. And, you know, um, I had something come up at work and we didn't talk for a week and it all was fine. And then you go, okay, see, this is normal. You don't then feel so worrisome about it because these other people aren't in that state. So it's like anything, if you want to get better at tennis, you play with people who are better than you, not worse than you, Mm
2: -hmm. your name's
1: not, your game's not going to get any better until you're stretching yourself
2: Mm.
1: so that would be my advice be careful who you surround yourself with because this stuff is very anxiety producing yeah or have a coach or again have a therapist that you talk to about this stuff because they're going to be able to objectively give you different advice than someone else who's in the same boat.
0: And I think to your point too, about with the avoidant is that it's really important to, for them to, I mean, whether they're talking to a therapist, but also because the anxious people will just go to another person and like, you know, da, 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 da We just like are venting and la, 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 la. But an avoidant person won't necessarily do that. So it's actually important for them That's to right. find someone, find people that they've, are, can be vulnerable with and talk
1: That's to. right. Yeah. And what, what I hear from the avoidant person is they'll come back after a day. Can you believe they wanted to know that about me? What's their problem? Or why are they coming on so strong? And I'll say, you know what, that's normal. They're just trying to connect with you. Mm-hmm. They too need a reference point about what is normalcy. So I just say, let's learn from secure functioning couples what is normal just because you have needs doesn't mean you're needy. Yep. And just because somebody wants to be with you doesn't mean they want to take away your independence. Yes. it is, again, your perception of the threat of it. Yeah, it's really what what are just trying to do? They're just trying
0: to connect. Yeah, that's good.
1: You know, everybody's just looking for love. I mean, Mm. I don't think people are that malicious or have that much time that they want to plan how to hurt you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, unless you're a really terribly toxic person. Okay, this is so true, Diane.
1: So anyway, I took all of this. Let's go back to the stats on this Mm -hmm. because I think this is really fascinating. So I, in my little practice in Menlo Park, you know, I I treat individuals and couples. And I wondered, okay, is it really 50%? Because I don't know about you, Kate. What do you think? Do you think 50% of the population is
0: I absolutely not with all the people I talk to and I love everybody, but there is no way there's no way that 50% of the population is secure, especially with where we are today in society.
1: (laughs) That's right. So I thought the exact same thing. So Um, Two years ago, I said, okay, and I did my postdoc training at Stanford, and I am a researcher, and I'm like, I need some data on this. Because also, as you said, a very important point, we also have negative experiences that make us more insecure over time. Yeah. Because you could start out in a secure functioning family, and then you've had so many bad dating experiences or yourself have dated so many insecure people that you're now worse off than better. Right. Exactly. Yep. So- I created my own quiz and I called it a love style quiz. And I put a, I got to tell you, I put a lot of work into this. So I looked at all the quizzes out there and the problem with all the quizzes out there, are some of them are as many as like a hundred questions. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but with our attention span, no one wants.
0: No one wants a hundred. No, I would be like, sorry, I'm not going to do that.
1: (laughs) No. That's right. And part of the problem that I actually don't like about attachment theory is the names themselves are very negative. No one wants to be called anxious ambivalent, anxious <laughs> avoidant. Those don't sound like catchy terms, right? Right. right. So the labels are very pathological and not very descriptive. So mm. I set out to develop my own quiz. So I actually started with like 50 questions. And I had a pool of people that I did my beta testing on. And then I actually, along with my other colleagues who also study attachment theory, we narrowed it down to the top 10 questions that are going to force you into one of four categories for each of these. And so how you answer 10 questions determines what I call your love style.
2: Mm, Okay.
1: So good. So I took, The four top attachment styles that I mentioned, secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. And then what I also did is I have one question for whether somebody is what I call a high expressive or a low expressive, okay? Mm -hmm. So think about it. Some people are more likely to talk about their issues and some people are not. Right. So you could have like a high expressive anxious person, but you could also have a low expressive anxious person. Oh, the that's person true. who still yeah. has a lot of means but doesn't talk through it. Mm. Okay. So I created a subtest for high and low, mm. and then I developed seven types instead of essentially those three would have been six. And then I added the disorganized type, not a high and low. And that's my seventh. Does that make sense? Yep. Totally makes sense. Oh, okay. wow. That's so I a, have really a, high fascinating. And a low anxious, a high and a low avoidant, a high and a low secure. And then I have what I call the wounded warrior, who is the confused person.
2: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let me
1: go over my data because yeah. this is what's fascinating. So yeah. I had no idea what I was going to get and I now I have 30,000 people who have taken my quiz. Wow, it's amazing. And everybody who takes my quiz I welcome them because I think of this as research and this is important research because I want to know what's happening in the population at large not just in my little office. Yeah. So at this point my data says that 42% of people are anxious.
0: Wow. Yep, that seems about right. That's way
1: more. Yeah. These are the people showing up in my office, mostly the anxious people, 27% are avoidance, mm. which also makes sense. And 23% are secure, mm. which leaves 8% of people to be disorganized. Wow. So think about it. That's sad, right? We're going in the wrong direction. I mean, ideally we'd have more, <laughs> more secure, secure people. people. Yeah. But Part of it is also society has made, now with dating apps, and now with even more ambiguity, Yep, um, I'm seeing more and more people getting anxious because we have this idea that there's the bigger, better deal out there, that with one swipe away, you're going to find the unicorn, (laughs) and that we're not spending enough time really connecting with people. And everyone, especially the women I know, are feeling really... Uh, not special. Yeah, They're feeling um, dissatisfied in their matches. They're feeling like nobody really gives them a chance. And so it's just unfortunate that a lot of people are just missing each other. They're like, I say it's sort of like men and women in heterosexual relationships. They're kind of playing chicken. I'll yeah. wait when you wait. And so uh, if you come forward, then I'll say something. But if you don't, I won't, then I'm out. And it's, it's this quick kind of decision making, because also people have this idea that it's going to be this romance, like the notebook, right? And and you're going to come and to build be a house and, and you're going to write <laughs> me letters every day. And I'm going to know instantaneously that you're right for me. And <laughs> we have such high expectations of what should look like. But we don't realize that what if you're a little anxious and they're a little avoidant and your love story is just not going to look like that.
0: Mm, Yeah. I love all of this, Diane. It's so helpful. It's so impactful. And so if people who are listening want to take the quiz, the love style quiz, where do they go to do that? Oh, absolutely. So my website
1: is called secure in love, which Mm -hmm. is what I want to help people do is become more secure in their loving relationships. So, um, there's just a little disclaimer about my quiz and then you take it, um, it'll ask for your email address and then you will get a hard copy in your email so you can print it out of your type. And I give you your needs and your wants and a description. And I say, you know, these might be your blind spots and this might need what you need to focus on in dating. And this is what you might need to focus on in your relationship. So oh it's for anyone. You could be in a relationship or or dating. And that's my first quiz. Uh, actually, Kate, my yeah. second quiz is for your partner. Oh, so wow. now I ask the question, like everybody would love to have a manual for their partner. Like, well, <laughs> well how can I, how I work with this person, right? So same right. thing, 10 questions describe your partner. Now, your partner doesn't need to agree with it. Because this is just how you see your partner. And then I give you the same four-page handout, how to best deal with
0: a person like that. Oh, wow. That's helpful. This is like, how do I better step up in this dating relationship and understand the other person I'm dating?
1: That's right. Now, I will, I will give the caveat, though, you need to kind of know this person a little bit more, right? Because um, yeah, everybody wants to exactly. game of the system and kind of like know this person and early on in dating, you don't know that much. So yeah. try not to look into it that much. Um, but also just recognize uh, what what's helpful in that information. Another way, and I I will tell you this, though, I'm in the process of changing the name of my website, but you'll still be able to find it. I'm changing it to Back to Love Doc because that's who I am on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. And so my new website will just match the same name. So in social media,
0: I'm the Back to Love Doc. Okay, So that's another way way to find me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Diane, this has been such an amazing conversation. I personally have been taking notes this whole time. If there's been times where I've just been like, I've been taking notes on my phone. It's amazing. <laughs> I know the listeners have learned so much today. So I got to ask you though, our very final question that we ask every guest, which is okay. what's the final last nugget of dating advice for the listeners today? Okay. I thought about this and I think I think what
1: I would say is don't use the golden rule, but use the platinum rule. Okay? Okay. (laughs) So golden rule, right? We all know, do unto others the way you want to be done unto, right? What that means, though, is in dating, you're going to lead with the expectation that other people are going to do it the way you do it. right? Right. That's true. That's not going to be that helpful because if you're dating other people who are not like you, and I don't imagine you want to date your twin, (laughs) then they're going to be a different person. So instead, we use what's called the platinum rule, Mm -hmm. which means do unto your partner the way they would like to be done unto. Mm, That's good. Oh, so different forget the golden rule. I know it's good for other things, but think about the platinum rule because that's more mm-hmm. of a relationship-based rule that's going to be helpful because the truth is everybody's not you. Yeah. And if we can be kinder and more forgiving of people's differences and not so quick to kind of judge somebody, when we really get to know somebody and we see their heart, we really fall in love with them more.
0: Mm, that's so
1: good, Diane. So in this, right, in this fast-paced world where people are making these cutthroat decisions because they don't have time, I say slow down, slow mm-hmm. down. And, and think about the platinum role.
0: So That's good. my advice. So good. Diane, I love that. I love the platinum roll. I love everything you shared about yeah. catchment style. This has just blown my mind. I am so excited for people to hear this episode. And I'm just so grateful for you and the work you're doing. I hope everyone goes and takes your quiz. We're going to put it in all the show notes and make sure people know exactly where to go. But I just want to say thank you so much for just your expertise, for sharing all of that with us today and for helping us to better understand ourselves and better also love other people
1: that's right because that's all it's about love at the end of the day
0: okay friend is your mind officially blown by all you learned about attachment theory I know mine was and I even knew about it going into this episode Attachment theory has been so helpful for me, and it's so helpful in general for how we show up in relationships. Once I learned about it, I realized, first of all, how it's affected the way I show up, and I also was able to take a look at how things in previous relationships panned out based on what I thought my attachment style was and what their attachment style was. I also really love the silver lining that Dr. Diane talks about today. We can heal and grow and manage the way we attach in relationships. The message here is one of ultimately so much hope. I highly encourage you all to go visit Diane's site, secureinlove.com, and take the quiz that she created to figure out what type you are. I tested as the expressive giver, and it was so eye-opening and has been really helpful for me. Also, go ahead and connect with Dr. Diane at at backtolovedoc on Instagram. Lastly, if you want more reading on attachment styles, I highly recommend the book Attach and the book How We Love. Love y'all and see you soon.
2: This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.